Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Okay, we're going to get started here. Um, first of all, can you hear me okay? I know there were some people that had difficulty last week hearing me, uh, and I made the comment that uh, I have a, a hard time projecting since the stroke, so especially if I turn this way. And my wife informed me, she said, Mike, you turn to your left more than you do your right. I am left-handed, so that might be why. It's not, it's not, uh, it has nothing to do with my politics or anything like that. So, um, Two announcements that they have asked me to make on your table is a card for the color code for adults. So if you are interested in that, make sure you grab one of those. And then I don't think there's anybody in here of this age, but I will throw it out. Uh, The gospel-centered parenting workshop is coming up. So again, there's a card for that. So... um, I, I, I don't want to be uh, dismissive if, if somebody says, hey, I'm in that age group, uh, but I just, I know, I know we're not, so I'm, I was just making sure I, yeah, well, that's true, it could be for grandparents, I haven't asked. Um, okay, so our question, thought question, what is the value of relationship, and that is supposed to be a P, it looks like a hanging D or something like that. But that's supposed to be a P. So what is the value of relationship to the believer? And uh, last week we started over there. I'm going to start with this table today, so I'm just giving you a a second. Now, again, I want you to remember something. These questions are meant to just be thought-provoking. So don't feel like, oh, no, there's a That's not what that table answered is not what we answered, so we must have been wrong. It's it's just to get you talking about the issue. Um, And I did something different this week by putting value and relationship in a different color, hopefully just keying you into these are the things that I want you thinking about. So, so again, what is the value of relationship to the believer? Okay, who's our spokesperson? All right, what did you guys talk about? Okay, first we talked about uh, relationship with God okay. is important, and it comes down to really communing with God, and even Jesus went away in order to have a personal, private conversation with God, and we use the word refueling time. Okay. Then we have relationship with people. Um, It keeps us honest with the sin that is in our lives, that if you have a relationship with other believers, they are able to see the sin and might call you out on it. Or even we talked about just the idea of seeing other people in their lives convicts you. Okay. Maybe not you saying it explicitly, but it convicts you. Okay. Um, And then we looked up Acts 2.42, where the early church, that was one of their fundamental things, the breaking of bread, teaching of the apostles and fellowship. Good. So refueling, accountability, and then just talking about the, the, uh, the way that the early church modeled that. Is that a good one? Okay. Excellent. Okay. Next table. Who's on the hot seat? Oh, we mainly just talk about relationships with each other. Uh-huh. And that sometimes, you know, the idea of metal sharpening metal. Yeah. And that other brothers and sisters can help us to grow. Okay. Encouragement, edification, those kinds of things. Great points. Who's on the hot seat over here? Uh, just basic 
um, info, you know, that we have a we need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ mm -hmm. to begin with, and we're commanded really to love God and to love others. So <clears throat> we need to be relational, okay, in order to have anything. More. So could we even say it, just take it that we were created for relationship? Is that fair? Okay, yes. good, good, okay. So just to recap, you guys are going to have to help me here. Uh, recharging, accountability, encouragement, edification. We were created for relationship with both God uh, through Jesus and others. Okay? Who's on the hot seat over here? You are. You just said what we said. Okay. Yeah, as I say, that's so we, we were very profound. We, we just decided to kind of come to a conclusion that God created Adam and he didn't want him to be alone. Okay. He needed a relationship with 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 God Himself as okay. well as others, so He okay. created Eve, and, and that's we were created to be in relationship okay. with Him, and that we need others. Okay, good, good. So the reason that I want you to think about this will hopefully become evident as we go along. Now, normally. Um, I, I'm building a, a mystery, a suspense novel here. I want to hold, you know, normally I just kind of come right out and give you the theme of what we're going to be talking about. But I want to hold that and sort of draw you through as we talk about this. Um, as a couple of examples of things that you shared, uh, I want to share a couple things. So yesterday we helped us, Randy and I and several others helped Kelly move yesterday. And it was, uh, we talked, uh, there were several of us that talked that it was so good just to be around other people and we were working and we were accomplishing something, but we were also helping, uh, coming alongside, encouraging, doing those kinds of things. And there was one individual, he's not in here, his name's Jeff. Uh, I, he and I were having a conversation and I, I said to him, I said, isn't it interesting that in reality, we almost had more church here than you do on a Sunday. And what I mean by that is more interaction with one another, more encouragement, more accountability. And, and I think there is a lesson for us in that, that there is tremendous value in relationship. That being said, I don't want to, I want you to hear that I'm saying there's tremendous value in relationship. Okay. Everybody got that? Second thing, uh, when my wife was going to be in here, she said she didn't want me to announce this, but uh, she had to help Kenny Ansley with something, so I'm going to announce it now. Her father uh, did pass away this week on Thursday of, uh, of this week. I think that's right. Um, he did... Uh, pass away and so we will be leaving here today the the plan is to be back kind of like we did before but if not rick's going to fill in for me next week if we cannot so uh, i've already asked him and i'll try and let him know as soon as possible so he may be doing a little stand-in for me and i told him i said you whatever you want to do you do so anyways um i thought it would be uh i let me say it this way i would like for you to pray with me for two things um, in relation to uh, um, my wife, and then I'm going to mention one other thing. One is uh, we saw tremendous healing in, in one relationship in particular. One of her brothers had been estranged from her father for, well, let's see. Kathy and I have been married almost 30 years, so thirty at least 30 years, more than that. 
And they were able to reconnect in some way. Um, and that was something we had been praying for. So that was a tremendous thing. So I just ask you to pray with us that even more of that will happen. There are still some, some broken relationships sometimes being with her family. I'm guessing your family is sort of like this too. Where you know you got to be careful what you say around one because the other one might get upset. Those kinds of things. So just be praying for us that there would be healing in, in all of this. Um, and the second thing is I, I encourage you, uh, as I shared the example of Kelly, maybe it's not moving, but in some other way, coming alongside somebody else and being with them, rejoicing with them if they're rejoicing, grieving with them if they're grieving, uh, just being in relationship with them and sharing uh, the, the life of Christ together in that process. Um, look for those opportunities because I think it will benefit you tremendously uh, in your faith and your growth and your development. So with that in mind, uh, can I get a couple people just to open up in prayer uh, as we begin? Benita and uh, Ron, I'm going to pick on you. Ron, will you pray first? So Benita, I'll have you pray first and then Ron. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today so grateful that you tore the veil so that we would have the opportunity to have direct access to you through your son. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to approach you, to come to your throne, and to know that you hear us and that you love us and that you want us to be in communion with you, in conversation with you. Father, today, I come before you and ask that you will be with Kathy and her family. They've traveled many roads together. There have been many wonderful things that have come out of something um, that's been difficult to bear. But Father, we know there's more healing that needs to take place. And I know um, that the desire of Kathy's heart is that the good that comes out of this is renewed relationships, re resolved issues, and, and love, and grace, and mercy. And I just pray that you will use your Holy Spirit to convict hearts of the need to share grace, and mercy, and forgiveness, and love with one another. And I pray that you will give their family strength and comfort during this time. I pray that you will just surround them during this time that they're together. I pray that you will um, touch their words, touch their hearts, and I know you're with them, Father. I know that um, you will be in their midst, and I just pray that you will use your Holy Spirit to convict where conviction needs to be and to comfort where comfort is needed. And, um, Father, I pray for um, Mike and Kathy's kids, too, as they won't be with them during this time. And I just pray that you will give them comfort and peace and help them as they deal with their own um, grief during this time. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring about us. And thank you, Father, for meeting our needs. In Jesus' name I pray.
Father God, as we come together at this time to study your word, we have petitioned you, and we ask that you honor those petitions this morning. Father, we come before you asking your forgiveness where we have failed, and we ask, Father, that you would still encourage us to step forward and to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. There are a lot of people in this world that are hurting, and um, there are a few you put in our paths that perhaps we can encourage and be supportive. I just pray now that you would allow us to absorb your word in this lesson and allow us to go forth from this building uh, as your example. We love you, Father. We just ask that you continue to bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you both. All right. So today uh, we are talking about Abraham. And you may say, what in the world does Abraham have to do with the gospel? Uh, I hope that we will be able to uh, answer that question by the end of our time. If not, I have failed. And I'm going to confess to you, I do not feel as prepared as I normally like to be. Uh, I do not feel as ready as I like to be. Uh, So if I stumble, uh, just understand that's probably why it is. So uh, it's been obviously a a, uh, hectic two weeks. Um, So Noah had three sons. It's funny, every time I say this, I think of my son Noah. But Noah from the Bible that survived the flood had three sons. His three sons' names were Japheth, Japheth, Ham, and Shem. Okay? Now, those three represented the repopulation of the earth because remember in the flood, all peoples were wiped out. So my question to you is let's just start... um, with these three, forget what's what's below here. But these three, uh, the people of Japheth. What, what what direction did did Japheth and his family and his people groups? What direction did they move following the flood? And what people groups would they represent? What's that? Europeans. The Europeans. That's right. So they moved west and north um, into the area of Asia Minor and eventually into Europe and repopulated that area. So you could count yourself Japhethites. If you've ever wanted to be an ite, you can say, I'm a Japhethite. Uh, I would assume most of you are probably of European descent. Uh, how about Ham? Makes you hungry, doesn't it? <laughs> How about Ham? Where did his descendants go? Africa. Okay, they went south towards Africa. Um, oftentimes, Ham is related to something that you'll see in the scriptures called Cush, C-U-S-H. That is a, a common description for the area of Egypt in that area. Um, so... Uh, I'm going to say this and don't put a whole lot of stock in this. Just kind of think about in your mind this way. Tend to be light-skinned individuals. Tend to be darker-skinned individuals. So those individuals that are going to be, um, you know, in the areas of North Africa, um, in the Middle East, some of the areas of the Middle East, those kinds of things. Shem. 
Where did Shem's descendants go? China. China? I'm guessing. Close. India. So, actually, Ham's descendants, if you think of any kind of skin color, think of Ham. So, the middle, or far eastern peoples probably would have, so part of his descendants went south and part of them also went east. So, that would have been Ham. Shem, does that sound like, what if I said Shemitic? Does that sound like anything? The Semites. So, this would have been the people that would have stayed in the Middle East. So, Arab peoples, Jewish peoples, um, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hittites, all, all of those ites come out of this uh, sort of, of, of family. And Shem had multiple sons, but one important son that, that gains notoriety in the book of Genesis is a man by the name of Terah. And Terah was the father of somebody that we all know and is fairly important. And I'm not disappearing, I just forgot to grab this. Who was Terah the father of? I'm going to put his his shortened name on there, Abram, uh, because that is the Abraham was the name he was given by God. Abram was his his given name by his family, and the whole point of this is simply to show you from Genesis chapter eleven uh, or uh, Genesis chapter six, excuse me. You have uh, the the flood that is happening and the ind- the individuals of of Noah's family that return, and then in chapters uh, ten and eleven you have the table of nations and the Tower of Babylon and all that. And you have this very broad look at human history where by the time you get to to Genesis chapter 12, it starts to get real narrow, doesn't it? It narrows down to where everything centers on one person. And the rest of of the Old Testament in reality is about this one guy, his family, his descendants. Why is that? Okay, because this is God's plan, is it not? You are, while we're looking at this from the perspective of people, in reality, we're seeing God's plan. We see all of human history narrowed down to one individual. Boy, that sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? You see all of human history narrowed down to one single individual that would, would bring salvation. And so in reality, when we look at Abraham, Abraham is a type of, of Jesus, He is also the method or the line through which God is going to use to bring about his Messiah. So he's going to bring his Messiah to the Jewish people, specifically a tribe of the Jewish people. You know, it gets pretty specific as we get in there. Uh, Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So uh, things begin to get very, very specific as we move forward from here. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 12. And uh, it seems like we've been introducing for about 25 minutes here. We're going to jump into the lesson. It's, it's really pretty short. What we have to talk about today is really pretty short. Um, there's really only three uh, points that I want to make. Really, it's, it's two plus one is, is the way that I'm going to say it. Uh, two of them are positive. One of them is negative, uh, or sort of the negative view of the other two. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, The Lord had said, to, had said to Abram, notice the past tense here. So we read that and we think, well, God's calling Abraham here. But notice... 
He had said it. it. Sometime previously, God had said to Abraham, here's what I want you to do. We don't know exactly when that was. We simply know it was prior to these events. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. And here's the promise that God makes to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Verse 6, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar, altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So here we see that that uh, God is calling Abram. And, and the couple things that I want you to take note of is what was there special about Abram versus Terah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, or any of their descendants? Nothing. Not a thing. So why did God call Abram? Okay, he wanted to. Can we use a different word? Not, not that that's a wrong word. I'm just going to change it. He chose to. God willed that this is the way he should go. And, and I think it's important that as we think about God in terms of relating to him, God does his will. He chooses what he is going to do, and then everything in his purposes are designed to bring about that will, that purpose. And so God chooses Abraham. Uh, I have used the phrase, Abraham was a Jew that was made, not born. Uh, In other words, he was not a Jew prior to God calling him. As a matter of fact, he was a pagan. He was a, a person who did not worship the God of Israel because there was no Israel, right? He didn't worship the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac because there was none of those people. He was a a person who was more than likely sensitive to God because otherwise God would not have been able to work within him and actually uh, bring about faith as we read in Romans chapter 4. But obviously, excuse me, what's going on here is God is doing this while Abraham is just living his life. He, he leaves with his father, Terah, and they, they start on a journey, and they were supposed to go all the way to the land of Canaan, which is modern-day Israel and, and parts of Jordan, things like that. Uh, they were going to go that far, but they stopped part of the way. They said, ah, this is pretty nice here. Let's stop here, this place called Haran. And so from there, Abraham says, I'm going to complete the journey. I'm going to go from Haran all the way to the place that God calls me. Now, I want to show you one other thing, and uh, I'm going to call this, um, what do I want to call this? Bible Study 101. It's very helpful at times when you're reading things in the scriptures to find 
New Testament passages that relate to them, especially when you're reading in the Old Testament, because they give you a backdrop to it. I like to call the New Testament the commentary on the Old Testament. Basically, what you have is the Old Testament lays out the plan of God, and then the New Testament fills in the details of, of what God's plan was that we were unable to understand. So turn to Acts chapter 7. And to me, this is uh, beautiful, what we have here. Acts chapter 7, this is Stephen before the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews. And Stephen is on trial. He is about to be stoned to death, but he has a message for them. And he's going he's gonna to teach them their history. Okay, And so basically, he's recounting the history that we already read. Um, So verse 1, Then the high priest asked him, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. It's basically a way of saying while he was still a pagan. He was not of us. He was was of somebody else. Before he lived in Haran, leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. Notice what he says. He didn't even go go to XYZ land. He didn't say go to Joplin, Missouri. He said just just go. Just get in the car and drive. (laughs) If he had a car. Get, Get on the camel and ride. How's that? Get on the camel and ride, and I'll tell you when to stop. Uh, verse 4, so he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land. Even though at that time Abraham had no children, God spoke to him in this way, Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. So not only did God call Abraham when he was a, or Abram when he was a, a pagan, he called him prior to circumcision. What is circumcision? It was a sign of a physical sign of a dedication. Okay. It was a sign of the covenant that they were submitted to the Mosaic law, to the to the thing that God was going to call them to. It was in essence what separated them from the world around them. And that separation is what made Judaism or Jewish people. Judaism being the religion, the following of the law, the submission to the law, Jewishness being of descent of somebody who follows the law. And so it is the sign of circumcision that then becomes the hallmark for Jews to say, well, I'm a Jew, I'm a Jew. You know, that's how I'm different. Remember the argument when Jesus would get in with the Pharisees and the Pharisees would say, well, our father is Abraham. We have one father. And Jesus corrects that and says, no, you're not even listening to him. Because Abraham exercised faith and he exercised faith in the God of the universe and even me. And so in this case... Uh, we have two things that are happening. The, the idea that God calls Abraham while he's still a pagan and he calls him prior to circumcision without knowing a destination. He basically says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do what I say. Fair enough? He didn't give him all the details. Just said, I want you to do what I have called you to.
He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you descendants. But he didn't do it first, did he? He just called him to that. Okay, that's point number one. Number two uh, is something that we often get to. And so I want to ask you a question. How many of you would say that Abraham was a friend of God? Raise your hand. It's okay. Okay. How many of you would say that Abraham was God's friend? You say, Mike, that sounds like the same thing. It's slightly different. Here's what I mean. Abraham never once refers to himself as the friend of God. God refers to Abraham as his friend. My point in that is that this relationship has value when it is defined by God, not by us. A couple of passages I want you to take a look at real quick. Uh, And uh, some of them, I'll be honest with you, they're a little bit hard to find. Um, Hopefully this is like an old-fashioned Bible sword drill. Do you guys remember those from when you were a kid? Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Um, and let's see uh, trying to think of how much I want to read here so I'm going to start in verse 2 but let me just begin by saying uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 2 so Chronicles is a book about the kings of Jerusalem uh, about the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom and in this case we're talking about Jehoshaphat which was a good and godly king Um, I'll throw this in there. This is free. You don't have to pay for this. Northern kingdom, no good kings, none righteous. Southern kingdoms, periodically you had righteous kingdoms, or righteous kings. Jehoshaphat being one of them. So verse 2 says, Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom and from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek, uh, excuse me, to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, and this is really what I want you to pay attention to. This is the prayer of Jehoshaphat. Imagine if we prayed like this. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Two quick points about that. Doesn't that, as, as Jehoshaphat begins to pray, doesn't that sound a lot like the prayer that Jesus offers, what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Notice how he starts by talking about the fact of who God is and the fact that God's will is going to be accomplished. But the second thing I want you to notice is Jehoshaphat speaking and inspired by God, he calls Abraham the friend of God. The fact that that they had this relationship that was defined by the will and the purposes of God and Abraham was fulfilling them and because of that, he is now the friend of God. Okay? Uh, One other 
One other passage is in the book of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 41. And uh, there's really no, I'm just going to start reading in verse 1. Uh, this is Isaiah 41, 1 to 10. Be silent before me, you islands. Let the nations renew their strength. Let them come forward and speak. Let us meet together at the place of judgment. Who has stirred up one from the east, calling him in righteousness to his service? Who did God call from the east? Notice how it says there, uh, there are two classical interpretations of this. One is Abram. Abram was called from the east. So Mesopotamia, if you think of Israel, if I'm Israel, Mesopotamia would have been to the east of Israel, modern day Iraq. The other option is probably Nebuchadnezzar or Cyrus or one of those kings that God calls in to actually exact punishment on the nation for their idolatry. Uh, verse, uh, let's see, let's drop down to verse 3. He pursues them and moves on unscathed by a path his feet have not traveled before. Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, with the first of them and the last, I am he. The islands have seen it and fear. The ends of the earth tremble. They approach and come forward. Each helps the other and says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman encourages the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer spurs on him who strikes the anvil. He says to the welding, it is good. He nails down the idol so it will not topple. But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob... Whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. What I want to uh, encourage you with here, or have you to see, is that Abraham is called God's friend, and, and here Abraham is seen fulfilling God's purposes through his descendants, through the Abraham, through the Abrahamic descendants. Again, God defines the the purposes and the plan. And Abraham says, I agree, I'm going along with you. And God says, you're my friend. Abraham didn't just wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to be friends with that guy up there. He seems like a good guy. What does Romans say? There is no one who is righteous, no one who seeks God, no God has defined the relationship and Abraham is living within the bounds of that relationship. Um, Secondly, I would tell you that... can't see without my glasses on. In verse 9, where, where Abraham is, is talking, to, or God is talking to the nation, he says, you are my servant. I have chosen you. I selected you. God chose Abraham... Abraham is God's friend because God has chosen and defined the nature of their relationship. If you read in, in uh, Romans chapter 4, to me there's this beautiful passage um, that begins, I, I can't think of the verses off the top of my head, but uh, Paul says there, Abraham, in hope against all hope, believe God. In other words, God said something and Abraham said, I'm going to choose to believe that. Because the God of the universe has spoken these things, I am going to live my life as though that is absolutely accurate. It is absolutely true. I'm going to live my life as though it has absolutely come to pass already. 
And Paul says that's what you call faith. When you live in such a way that even though you are living towards something that is unseen, you live as though it's right before you. Isn't that in reality what we do every single day? We are promised eternal life, and yet we live in this fallen world with this brokenness, with this sinfulness. And so, in reality, our relationship to God is no different than Abraham. It is defined by God, and we merely live in it. Now, I want to give you, uh, if I can, the negative side of this. And what I mean by that is there is a danger in which when we... um, I'm going to think of how I want to say this. When, when we uh, treat lightly our relationship with God, it becomes dangerous. When we view it as something that is automatic, when we view it as something that is normal, when we view it as something that is filled with, with events and activities... Um, I was sitting in a meeting recently and uh, there was a discussion of how people grow spiritually and there was a survey that was taken and and the uh, respondents to the survey responded about what it was that sort of drove their, their spiritual growth. One of the answers that was given was church activity. Now, when, I mean, I hope that most of you are involved in some way, shape, or form in church activity, in some ministry, and it does give you the idea that you are growing spiritually, doesn't it? Because you're involved, you're around other believers, but that in and of itself is not necessarily spiritual growth, is it? Sometimes it's just busyness. Let me, let me demonstrate what I'm saying. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. These, to me, are probably some of the scariest words in all of the Scripture. Matthew chapter 7, uh, and I'm going to read at verse 21. Jesus says, he's speaking, this is right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He's warning those who have begun to follow him about watching out for uh, false teachers. And he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's easy for us to sit and say, how in the world could somebody you know, drive demons out or uh, teach or perform miracles, do all these things, and not know God? I don't know the answer to that. That's why those are, are terrifying words to me. But there is a sense in which we equate sort of the fruit of our relationship with God with the reality of our relationship with God. You know, we're doing all these churchy things, uh, there was a uh, very, very wise man um, who said, if I stand in a garage for seven days in a row, it doesn't make me a car. If I come to church my entire life and I read the Bible and I pray, and I, that doesn't make me a follower of Jesus, does it? It doesn't make me in relationship with God. It is only as, I, as he defines our relationship with him. So according to Jesus in this verse, what is it that he says God requires? In Matthew chapter 7. It was in there. 
It is only those who do his will. That's, that's another way of saying his choices, his purposes, his plans, the things that he has lined out. So I want to encourage you with this, uh, even though this is the negative point. The reason that we spend so much time studying the Bible is so we can understand what the will of God is. Because the only way we can do the will of God is to know the will of God, right? And I hope that as you, as we go through this class, that these three weeks that we're in, or, or two weeks plus Rick is what I may call it, if, if Rick ends up teaching next week, may be a little bit confusing because it's not sort of my normal class. We're just sort of looking at some background and how we see carryovers from the Old Testament into the New Testament gospel. But the thing that I want you to take away from Abraham is that God defined what it is that he wanted of Abraham. And because Abraham walked in that, God accepted him. He became the friend of God. As a matter of fact, Romans says he gave him the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 4, I believe it is. Now a righteousness from God is revealed that is from faith to faith. See, that is what, in reality, we are sort of called to in uh, Christianity, is to live in what it is that God is working and willing and trying to accomplish. Uh, and so my, my plan was to look not only at Abraham, but to look at Isaac, how Isaac was a child of the promise, and how as we live in the promise, what promise? What is the promise we live in? That we can have hope. That we are not left in the condition that we are. That there is a God who has provided a way for us to cling to him through Jesus Christ and faith. And then we're going to look at Jesus and how uh, Jesus, Jesus explains his ministry and his calling, his, the, the, the purposes of the will of the Father. And then we're going to jump into uh, the book of Ephesians where we begin to see those uh, specific things that we've been called to to live. So, again, the takeaways for today, while I don't have a specific application for you, it is this. Relationship has value. Oh, I forgot to turn this back around. Relationship has value when we live in the defined plans and purposes of God. Other than that, relationship to God for the believer does not have any value. Even what we were talking about earlier... Um, and I'm going to go back through and try and remember these now. So the energizing, the recharging, the accountability, the encouragement, the edification, uh, the, the being able to know one another, and be challenged by one another, and to grow uh, in that uh, grace as, as, as the early church did. Those are the things that God has laid out and planned and purposed, right? It's not just busyness, but it's busyness with a purpose. Make sense? Uh, now, that being said, I've talked for, I don't know, way too long. What are your thoughts? What are you thinking about as, as you think about Abram and as you think about the, the plans and the purposes of God? What are, uh, and as you read the passage this week, what are some of those things that maybe stood out to you uh, that you want to share with the group? I was saying, I have no idea. I don't even know what you're talking about. Keeping our eyes off of ourselves and others. Okay. 
Uh, being able to, you know, in the Old Testament, um, so I'm going to try and do this. In the Old Testament, there's this passage in, I uh, can't remember now if it's Malachi or Micah. Uh, I think it's Micah. What is it, man, that God requires of you? To walk humbly? To walk circumspectly? Uh, and oftentimes I would read that and I would think, what in the world does that mean? But exactly what Randy is talking Who's my neighbor? Remember that story from a couple weeks ago? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story to say, my neighbor is the one that I stop and care for. The one that I choose to love. Offering or receiving nothing in return, but the one that I, that I seek to love. Okay, good point. What else? I go back to that phrase that you've used in so many of your classes, that faith is submission to the truth. Mm-hmm. And God's will is truth. Yeah. And I know this gets into a totally different discussion, but faith without works is dead. And it's not the busy works. It is what God has told us we need mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. And it's, and those works are for a purpose. Yep. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think uh, some of you have been in the class when I taught taught the book of James and how Martin Luther wanted to just rip it out of his Bible. He thought it didn't deserve to be in the canon. But in that, he even recognized later in life that what James' perspective was, was it is because of faith that we work. Paul puts it this way, there is an obedience that comes from faith. And so, yes, we do do things, but we do things because of the transforming work of God in our life, because he has called us to those things. And the reason that I like to define the word faith by submission to the truth is very simple, because everything else is a lie that we live. Anything else around us is a lie or a partial truth. A partial truth is still a lie, is it not? And so it is only as we submit to God's revealed truth, God's revealed plan, and we live as though that is true, that we are living in faith. You know, the writer of Hebrews puts it differently. The evidence of those things we can't see, those, those unseen things, uh, the conviction of things that we haven't yet come to see. Okay? Other thoughts? So I want to be able to uh, give you time to visit. I know uh, we don't do that enough in in our meetings together, so I'm going to make sure, uh, try, try and make sure that we do that. So let me pray for us um, as we go. And I ask you to just think about this and meditate on this throughout this week. When it comes to the gospel... What, is, what are the plans and the purposes that God has called us to that we should be living in? Because I think those are the things that we're trying, you know, th- those are the things we want to be about. And it makes me think of the, uh, of the hymn. I was listening this week uh, to a couple, it was a question and answer time period with a couple of individuals, R.C. R. Sproul, R.C. Sproul Jr., um, Alistair Begg, I don't know if you know who he is. I just like to listen to him. He's from Scotland. He's got a wonderful accent. And then there was another guy. He was from Scotland as well. I, I didn't know him, but again, just listening to their accent, I could listen to it all day. But they were talking about hymns, and uh, they kept quoting from hymns. And, and 
these old hymns and, and how those truths uh, made an impact on them because they listened to them as a child. And I think of many of the gospel songs that I listened to as a child. One of those which continues to have an impact on my life is uh, there's a phrase, uh, and you'll have to help me with because my mind can't recall what the, what the gospel song is, but uh, I believe it's Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. The phrase says, When the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, when we have our eyes fixed solely on the gospel and the truth of the gospel, everything else sort of just fades away, doesn't it? All those things that maybe uh, be, might be competing for his allegiance. So let me pray for us. God, uh, our desire is to, to do your will, uh, to, to be known by you, to be called the friend of God, uh, to be at home with you, uh, Father, to be uh, in peaceful reconciliation and to have assurance that you have loved us and have saved us. Um, but Father, we need your help in that process. And God, I ask uh, as we go through the week this week that you will just challenge us with uh, the truths and, and the purposes that you have called us to as we read your word. Bring those things to mind. Bring them to light. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will remind us of these things so that we can press them into the corners of our lives. And in doing so, Father, you will help us to know you and to understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Uh, and Father, that we might be able to give that hope to somebody around us who might be struggling with something very similar. Father, be with us this week. Thank you for every individual that is represented here. I pray that your spirit might be upon them, your spirit might be communing with them. Father, that they might be drawn in a greater way to you. God, because of your truth, because of your word, and because of your spirit's interaction in our lives. We pray these things in the name of Jesus that he might be the one to receive the glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.